Hello and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we review movies, TV shows, and anything else pop culture. My name is Ivan, and as with every episode, I'm joined today by my co-host and avid breakfast cereal connoisseur, Emmett. Bonjour. I feel like we had a conversation on breakfast cereals a little while ago. We uh, we have this conversation every couple months, and it's not do. like our rankings change. <laughs> I always forget it though. Which one? Which ones you go to? Honeyos is number one. Now. And for always, I do. Always. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know what? It, I'm confusing this conversation with. I thought it, the breakfast cereal uh, mascots. Yeah, we did a mascots battle royale, which got intense. It's the tricks rabbit for me. It'll always be. The yeah, he's rabbit. crazy. Although the the cocoa puff, uh, cuckoo, could p- give him a run for his money. They should really make the spinoff movie of his, like whoever did the Joker movie, <laughs> like have him do the cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Um, or. Or they could do uh, the Disney Pixar Coco <laughs> part two. <laughs> have them cross over <laughs> with, a, with a cereal. That's how you get advertising, you know. That's true. There you go. Synergy. Man, Ivan, this, is a, this is a big episode for us. This um, is number 50. Oh, my God. Damn. We've been doing this for what feels like a decade. But it was actually like six months. <laughs> um, I, I was under the impression that we were doing all of these throughout COVID, but I, I don't think we have been. No, we started um, in November. Yeah. October? Are we? Mandalorian. We're almost at our year point. Kind of. No, actually, no. <laughs> we're, we're having trouble with math here, folks. Uh, give us give us some time. We'll figure it out. But I would say it's about nine months, ten months. Jeez. Well, time flew because I didn't realize we, we are in episode 50, though. You're right. This is a this is a pretty big milestone. Yeah. And unfortunately, we uh, we haven't gotten better since the start. We have no. remained the same. <laughs> but what we what we lack in quality, we more than make up when in uh, quantity. I was going to say consistency, but I don't think that's the truth either. No, it, it, quantity. <laughs> We're more than one a week. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there's certain weeks you might get two episodes. There's weeks where you might get nothing. <laughs> well, what are we talking today? Uh, well, on today's agenda, um, I thought we'd take a little bit of break from all the Marvel stuff that we've done. It seems a little bit nonstop. Oh, man. I want to talk I Spider-Man. Well, I, you know what? This <laughs> bumped up our Spider-Man No Way Home theories episode into next week, so we can definitely chat into that soon, but... Um, we're taking a look at the overall first season of um, the latest Star Wars animation series, uh, Star Wars The Bad Batch. Yes. We, we kind of previewed, right? I feel like we did something before the, ser- the series began. but Yeah, we did a prep episode where we talked about the different members of The Bad Batch, kind of where we had hoped it was go. And then, uh, obviously, we I didn't look back at that episode and I'm guessing you didn't either. So we're not going to follow up on any threads from that one. Unless we accidentally do. Yeah, no. Well, if, if we do, it'll <laughs> totally be by coincidence. <laughs> um, this is what you get, though, on this on this behind the fourth wall. You get radical candor. Yeah. Or sometimes you get nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think that this was an interesting show because I feel like... Um, you and I both felt pretty strongly that 
while we were excited to get new Star Wars content, it also kind of became this um, this game of like, should we cover it weekly? Should we do the Marvel stuff? And I feel like because of the inundation of content, uh, we felt it was best to just kind of leave our thoughts in the background until we can kind of uh, get the entire season in, and then we could probably get a better sense as to how we really feel about the show. Yeah, we went back and forth a lot behind the scenes uh, discussing if when to cover it, um, kind of hoping that they would do arcs, much like in the Clone Wars animated series. But as it kind of turned out, they weren't really following that path, so it just makes more sense just to do a wrap up. Um, so let's just uh, let's just start with what it, what we got. So we got 16 episodes in total. Uh, the opening episode was 74 minutes uh, runtime. And then we got a two-part finale. Yep. Series was overall created by Jennifer Corbett and Dave Filoni, which... Um, Filoni? Filoni. <laughs> um, contrary to what people kind of seem, because I feel like week to week on Twitter and on the other uh, social media platforms, people always kind of give the credit to Dave Filoni, but he actually took a little bit of a backseat for this series. He's not the head writer, um, and he's actually just taking credit of an executive producer. So. In terms of how much his involvement is on the show, it's kind of a little bit of a question mark, but I got to assume that he is pretty involved in it only because these are characters that he created for the most part. And I get the feeling that he has trouble letting go. Uh, Like he just the way he talks in those like director behind the scenes with Mandalorian seems like he's just always got something to say. I'm pretty sure, and he he's the last of the um the Lucas era uh, head folks still over at Lucasfilm because I feel like the Disney era has kind of brought in new leadership into the group, but he's the consistency between the um, the previous group and now. We could we could probably get into it first with our general thoughts here, right? It's tough to generalize for an entire season, but I'll go ahead and try. So I think quality wise, uh, talking about the actual quality of the animation, I think it's up to the standards set by the later seasons of the Clone Wars. It's not quite as like high resolution, I would guess I would call it, not being in the industry or knowing the terms, uh, as that very last couple episodes that looked stunning. But uh, it's definitely better than Rebels, I would say. Plot-wise, I think it was a it definitely achieved like the roller coaster feel where you get really exciting episodes. There's a lot of great interactions. You get um, good, like, what's going to happen next? Or are they actually going to, like, hurt my favorite character here? Um, but I feel like there was a lot of filler episodes. Saying that, though, I don't think there was, like, an actively bad episode. I agree. I feel like we have a lot of, um, I think we have a lot of potential in this show to echo some of your thoughts we definitely were taken for a little bit of a roller coaster um in this season personally i feel like this is probably my second favorite animated show that we've seen for star wars not that there's a lot to choose from to be honest although now if i count them this is what the fourth one i guess one of them we didn't see which was resistance so i can't really like talk about this uh this show in comparison to that but um, I, I do feel like quality-wise, I, I got a lot from from this series. My one complaint, I feel like it did seem like there may have been a... While we had a great setup 
I feel like we had a very loose follow-up on a lot of the threads that were set up in the first episode. And while there was like an overarching story throughout the whole season, it wasn't quite followed up on as consistently as we wanted to. But I think overall, though, if I were to sit down and, and choose between this show and the traditional show on any other network, I would still choose this show uh, over anything else. Yeah, I think the only knock I would give it is that I really enjoyed the arcs that we got in the Clone Wars animated series. Just like having three or four episodes in a row where they all followed a certain plot. I get how they can't really do that with this show, though, because we're following one crew. So it's not like in Clone Wars where they could do three on Anakin, three on Obi-Wan, three on... uh, droids or whatever it is you know so i get that we can't really have that um we don't have like an expansive list to follow but uh maybe that's not a true knock then but i do think that what this probably the best thing about this series was the fanfare it gave to characters and plots that are referenced in other series and i saw that as a little bit of a complaint from other people Oh, really? Yeah, like I saw that there was a lot of folks bothered by the Ryloth episodes in this season. Really? Yeah, which is, those were among my favorites. Yeah. And I know that, you know, for people who haven't seen Rebels, maybe they're like, who's Hera and why, like, who who gives, you know, who cares about, (laughs) about this character? I enjoyed watching that. And I feel like for most of the Star Wars stuff, especially the Dave Filoni led series that we've seen, across live action and um, animation. If you have enjoyed any of that, you'll enjoy this. Um, and if you just don't, then you may not get as invested into it as, as, um, as uh, you know, as others might want to. But I feel like this has that little level of connective connectivity that the MCU kind of has normalized in today's um, content, world of content, I guess. Uh, I don't know why people necessarily had too much of an issue with characters cameoing from other series, but I personally enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching Young Hera, uh, Chopper. I enjoyed seeing the return of Cad Bane, who, uh, truth be told, I kind of forgot. I thought he was killed off in Clone Wars. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I enjoyed all that stuff. Yeah, and you get Fennec too, you get Rex. I think it's uh, unfortunate that some fans are uh, nitpicky about which ones they are okay with making a reprisal or a feature in these. Like, I don't think I saw any complaints about Rex. So it's weird that, like, uh, people are a little upset about the Hera stuff. I mean, that was... So for, for people who don't know, Hera is one of the characters, or the main one of the main characters in the Rebels series, which went on for, what, four seasons? So now we get to see where this Bad Batch series aligns with her upbringing. So she's just a child in this one where she's an adult in the Rebel series, which I think is enjoyable. I mean, yes, maybe they because they spent two episodes on it, that kind of gave us like a, ooh, maybe they're going to start doing arcs. Uh, So maybe that was like a mislead, but getting to see her was actually a lot of fun. Uh, Plus... It wasn't like a throwaway episode at all. 
No, and, and I feel like something you said there uh, kind of made me kind of realize something, too. You're right. Like, we had Rex's cameo early in the season. That didn't cause any sort of uproar or controversy or knock on the show. But the minute it was Hera and the minute Fennec showed up and bested Cad Bane, all of a sudden people have problems with it. it it's a little... It definitely is a little telling as to what segment of the fan base may be more outraged at this kind of thing. It did strike me as weird, though, because, like, there was a there was this, like, really heightened glee to watching Cad Bane return. And truth be told, I, I liked watching the character come in, too. I just couldn't help but see the social media uh, backlash as to some of the uh, pivots that the story went into. Uh, so that's why I'm like, all right, well... <laughs> It, when when we, when we put it into perspective, I'm like, all right, there's certain things that I feel like might be more glaring than others. One thing I wanted to ask you, because this is something that I feel like I have my own opinion on it, but I feel like I'm, I'm interested to kind of see your take because you're somebody who just recently got into the animation, uh, the animated shows. So you don't have like a couple, like multiple years worth of getting to, I guess, investing in these characters. But do you equate a anime like a character introduced in animation equivalent to that of a live action character like a character that was introduced in the live action movies are they on the same playing field i guess for you um i can't think of any that are like do you have specific characters you're talking about or so i think uh the reason why i'm asking is because i guess uh cameos in anime and in the animated series that are from characters introduced in the live action movies seem to generate some positive um uh fan interaction right or fan response uh so for example in rebels we got to see leia we got to see wedge we got to see mon mothma the guy with the beard that i always forget his name (laughs) um characters from the original trilogy basically that made their cameos in these shows um but there's been a discussion in in the fandom over whether a animated character then crossing over to live action will hold the same impact as a live action character crossing over to animation. Well, look at Ahsoka. I mean, she was purely an animated character, and then she had the best reception going into Mandalorian. I agree. But I also feel like it might be a generational thing, too, because... And what I mean by that is, like, there's a whole generation of kids who grew up on Clone Wars that, and, and truth be told, that's, that kind of covers our generation a bit, too, because Clone Wars premiered about two years after Revenge of the Sith came out of theaters. And so from that time up until, like, the early 2010s, the series was on, was basically on a high, right? Um so to a lot of people, these characters are just as valid, I guess, as some of the original trilogy characters or the prequel characters. Uh, so, to, I, But I think Ahsoka is the first one to kind of jump into from animation to live action in, in that kind of um, way. Uh, because she was always an important character in the animation, but now we're kind of establishing her in live action also. It has just been interesting to me that um, we have a large selection of Star Wars characters. And to me, it's exciting to see them cross over from different mediums. It just it has been interesting to me in the last couple of weeks, though, as we've just as Bad Batch has been, you know, uh, coming into the forefront of pop culture consciousness, I guess, uh, of what the reception is for people um, across the board. 
Well, here's the other argument I could make too. Um, why I wouldn't want to see some characters go from animated to live action. I think that the directors and uh, designers of animated series know that they can get away with uh, more outrageous and like heroic stunts in animation that can then be hard to live up to in live action. So like one knock I would have for Ahsoka is that like in the animated series, she is bouncing off the walls. She's (laughs) uh, destroying countless droids. And then in the live action, they have her in this like, um, samurai showdown which was still powerful but it's not really her style uh, I guess they did okay when she was in the woods but here's another example too Saul Guerrero right um, we see him in Rogue One and he came from the Clone Wars series in the Clone Wars series and actually he was even featured in the Bad Batch too he is so much more fast paced and um, aggressive. And then in Rogue One, I don't know if it's just because it was like, he's an older person at that point, but he did nothing other than just deliver dialogue. Well, he was an iron lung technically. Okay. Well, I mean, throw a jetpack on that. You're iron. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's interesting though, because I get what you mean. Cause one of the primary complaints of Ahsoka's design in Mandalorian was the fact that her, I think they call it the leku, the the those little like tendrils that come out from her from her head were too short compared to how we saw her in Rebels. And then when we saw that behind the scenes um, uh, documentary on Disney Plus for season two, I don't know if you caught it, but they referenced that they had to shorten it because for stunts it just got in the way. Uh, like, so there's definitely that sort is of limitations. Stuff I don't really care about. Like if you can get close enough to the animated. I'm not going to knock you that like you couldn't have a perfect translation to the look. The things that I don't like is that you build up this character in an animated sense that like is a total badass. But she on screen, they only use her in like very slow combat. It's just not her style. That's true. That is true. Although truth be told that that during animation, we saw her battling other lightsaber wielders and then man- the, the era of the mandalorian there's none of those left so how much of those incredible feats can you justify um besides her just taking down henchmen i guess yeah and maybe they did do a good job i mean it's been a while since i've rewatched it uh so maybe i'm just misremembering it but <laughs> uh i don't yeah i think that it is, yes. Just the fact that we're talking about it, it is a very difficult thing to accomplish. So I would be really interested to see if we ever get to see the Bad Batch group in live action. I think there's enough fan uh, response and there's a big enough audience that uh, it would obviously go to trending and, and be well received. But I wonder if we uh, if they ever make that leap. And how how would it look? Yeah, I've noticed a lot of conversation on that, and I feel like part of the conversations that are taking place right now in, in the fandom of like should these characters debut in live action, 
maybe it has to do with the fact that the next Star Wars project lined up that's not animation is the Book of Boba Fett in December. And earlier in the Bad Batch uh, series, you got the reference that Omega is the Omega to Boba Fett's Alpha. Um, in terms of Omega and Boba are both exact genetic copies of Jango Fett. So technically speaking, they're both non-age accelerating and they're both technically brother and sister, I guess, right? Um, so it just kind of begs the question of like, would Omega kind of make sense to cross over into the Book of Boba Fett? But will they? Yeah, that was the only thing I didn't really understand throughout the series is why she didn't age. I get she doesn't have acceleration, but it seems like she's stuck in the same age and they at the very end in the last episode they presented that she's older than the bad batch group so the timeline is a little wonky but i think from my understanding if her and boba were born around the same time it'd be like around the phantom menace time because by the time you get to attack of the clones it's about 10 years later and that's the start of the clone wars and I, I believe clones are supposed to age about twice the normal rate of a normal human. But if they don't age like that, and they just age normally, then they'd be about 10 at the start of the Clone Wars, which would make her about 13 during this series, right? Because the Clone Wars is about three or four years. But then how does she have so many memories of working in the lab when they when the Bad Batch group was being modified there that's where i don't understand because i feel like right like that's the that's the part i'm stuck on unless the bad batch themselves age more rapidly than the than the twice the twice the normal age thing that was discussed in attack of the clones or their traits were given to them after like a normal upbringing that yeah, that could be it too. Like they weren't necessarily genetically modified until they were, I don't know, physically ten years old. But they would be around five, right? So then Omega would be about five years old. So it would stand to reason that she would remember that. Yeah, this is one part where we just have to kind of speculate, which I would have liked clearer answers on. And I feel like this could be one other knock on the show, is that they took too long to explain Omega's importance. Uh, like, after the first couple episodes, we knew she was different, and there was going to be a good reason why. And then they hint at that she has, like, tactical reasoning abilities uh, that are heightened. But then they don't revisit anything special about her until this very last episode. So they go, like, ten episodes without talking about her individually. Yeah, and that's that. That's where I feel like, yeah, you're right. That's where I feel like the show kind of loses me a little bit in places. And that's where you, you know that she's special from the dialogue and you know that she's special through some of the actions. I kind of ventured to guess that earlier earlier in the season, I thought maybe she's force sensitive. Uh, maybe that's the big reveal, right? Because there are certain things that she did that kind of caught my attention. Like, for example... Uh, she never picked up a blaster before they escaped Camino in that first episode, right? So, but when she picks it up, she's able to aim perfectly, 
without any sort of like uh, formal uh, training. So that kind of caught me off guard. Then it seemed like she could kind of adapt some of Hunter's um, tracking skills. And she's exhibited like the ability to kind of catch on to things really quickly. And in the episode, I'm forgetting the, the one in Sid's bar. I think it's when she's playing. Um, uh, I always forget what you call the 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 chess equivalent, I guess, in Star Wars. But uh, when she's playing that table table game with uh, with Sid, it's episode ten, Common Ground. There you go. <laughs> um, I don't know what that game has ever been. I have never known what that game was called, but yes, I know what you're talking about. They always they they mentioned that ever since the original trilogy, and I always forget the name. And it's like now it's bothering me because I'm like I feel like I should I should know this, but anyway. Um, you get the sense that she has a tactful, a tactful mind, right? So she's a tactician. She's smart. Um, it, but yeah, like they never quite touched on it. And then once they did, and we found out that she's an exact genetic template of Django Fett, just like Boba, I still kind of don't know why that's so important, though. It's called the Jarek. <laughs> I mean, I there you just, go. I remembered it. I'm pretty good at these things. It's not Wikipedia, right? You don't have one of those in the. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the Google of Wikipedia. <laughs> Man, that was a terrible episode, though. Yeah. Let's talk some of the some of the uh, bad ones of the bad batch, and then let's talk about some of the good ones. Okay. I What's... didn't really like the third episode replacements when they go to visit um what's that clone that defected and had a family oh, cut, cut liquid yeah i didn't really like that one and i don't know if it's because the episode quality or because it was the third episode of the season and i had just come off of watching the 75 minute one which uh which felt like oh my god are they all going to be like this this is amazing and then the second one was like, um, kind of the, oh no, that, that the was the second one. Cut one was second one. So that's probably yeah. it is like coming off of the 75 minute one. And then they go to visit this clone that defected and, uh, they have to like help him escape and they don't get anything in return really. Um, so maybe that was why. Yeah, to me, I like the second one, I but I, I do feel like it's an odd placement for it, especially after we just came out of, like, what was, I, I still think, arguably, the, the best animated pilot episode we've seen from so any Wars. So good. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it just seemed like um, the pacing just dipped all the way down um, yeah. after a high-octane intro. I, I think for me, from the early seasons... The one that I feel like was the weakest for me is probably it has to be the one where the Martez sisters show up. Um, wow, the decommission one where they fight all the droids. Yeah, I kind of like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. Uh, I feel that was like really good action. It was decent action. <laughs> it just, I wasn't a big fan of the Martez sisters in the seventh season of the Clone Wars. Um, I think it was because, t- to me, it, those episodes just like still stick with me as like some of the worst episodes we got. Yeah, those were um, definitely throwaway ones in the Clone Wars. 
Yeah, and for me too, like at the end of that, the Bad Batch, it, I, I want to say it was like maybe the second mission that they went on where it felt like they didn't accomplish anything and it didn't really progress the plot forward. The The biggest reveal for that episode was to kind of give us the the big teaser that there's somebody out there working with the Martez sisters that was interested in clones. And it had me a little bit like, not hyped up, but like I, I was wondering like who it could be, who it could possibly be under that hood. I thought maybe Ahsoka was coming back, uh, but we got the reveal pretty quickly the week after. So, yeah, yeah, that was a little letdown that it wasn't Ahsoka because I was, they were so closely tied that I was expecting it to be. Um, another one that I really didn't like was we just talked about it, Common Ground, the tenth one where. Omega is left alone with Sid. That was just kind of boring. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, no, I I I, I get you. I, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the Sid stuff, I feel like, just didn't work for me. And it's not because of the character. I actually like the character. I like no, Sid. For me it's the character. It's the character. <laughs> I think for me, what it is though is like every time I see Sid in one of these episodes, I'm like, all right, I'm I'm waiting for the filler mission. You know, like it, it just seems like she's tied to these yes. uh, plot points that just don't go anywhere. Yep. Uh, because for me, the, the I, th- I think honestly, the weakest of all these episodes for me was Infested, and that's the one where they it's oh, episode. Yeah, 13. that was a bad one. It, but you know what it is though, like they could easily remedy these and make them have uh i guess more importance because if, if if it turns out that you know basically the bad batch helps to take back her uh her bar and her operation basically um but i feel like it would have a heavy impact if you actually show us as a result of helping her get this back now they can i don't know have access to more weapons or something that kind of drives the plot forward because it feels like most of the missions that they go on for Sid, it's just a one-off. It doesn't actually contribute to their uh, problem or, or like a solution for them at all. It's literally for gas money. Right. <laughs> and they only need the gas to continue doing her missions. So, yeah, it, working with her was kind of pointless. And I get um, that there needs to be a bit of... Uh, futility with what they go into next because they've always been under the operation of the republic and had them had the republic paying for their projects or their missions that they were going on so i get that there has to be like a learning curve of we're new to this and then they get in with a business owner that is purely out for their own profit but yeah it was Everything that they went on there was just like these are just side quests to delay. The the one though, I'm trying to remember if this is if this was a Sid mission or not, but the episode where they rescue the separatist senator, that one I thought actually did pretty good because it kind of brought them back into the forefront of like the of the empire. Um, anything. In this series, especially, I feel like if if you if we go in and we just take episode fourteen all the way through sixteen, they're all fantastic, and they actually flow really good when you watch them back to back. But 
the series I feel like was on its was on its high every time the Bad Batch was in direct conflict with the Empire. But similar the, to yeah, the Red Empire Sword, war against uh, their teammate who stayed with the Empire crosshair. Which, yeah, which they didn't really do much with. Um, and actually, let's talk about Crosshair for a bit, because I feel like he was a strong villain in the sense that I actually kind of was into the conflict between him and and, and his brothers, because in the beginning, especially from the first episode, you got the sense that it was the the inhibitor chip, right? Doing all the all the damage there. Yeah, I think this is one point that definitely should be clarified uh, for people that are slow on the uptake because it seems like some people didn't get it or that they're hoping that he still has his chip in him. But no, he's had the chip removed and it's just his personality to be like, I'm just going to follow the mission, whatever the mission is. So whether the chip had permanent lasting impacts on him, but I think they also mentioned that they did like experiments on him too. So that's where I'm kind of, I'm of two minds here, because on one hand, if it is that he didn't have the chip in there, and he was just acting out of free will, then he's just a bad guy, right? Which I think is still a heavy reveal, because it's like, no, it's actually not the chip, guys. I've actually been this bad of a dude <laughs> throughout all the years that you guys have known me. I'm just, I just have an excuse now to do what he wanted to do. Um, which I think is actually shocking enough for me to be to take appreciation in that reveal. Um, but at the same time, I also there's certain visual cues, like especially in the finale when he he'll still kind of like put two fingers right by the t- by the edge of his nose there, almost like to signify that he has a headache. That makes me question whether he actually did take off his inhibitor chip or if he's lying. Well, I think that this is what's difficult about this show because I've watched these episodes once or maybe a second time in the same day, but I haven't gone back and watched the whole thing. But correct me if I'm wrong in my memory, it's that his chip, like he got left behind. And when the Kaminoans, Kaminoans, uh, did a scan of him, his chip was damaged. But then they did like, uh, I guess like not chemical tests, but like psychological tests on him to make him more obedient without having a chip in him. So it's hard to say that it's like it's always been his personality trait. And I don't think he's always had his chip removed. But I think during that switch when he was left behind, they did enough to him to make him question like, the loyalty to the his former team. Yeah, it's it's hard to get a sense for the timeline because when he reveals that he doesn't have the chip, he says it was he took it out a long time ago. Um, it and we don't get any clarity as to when. So was it during the course of the series, or was it before? We don't really know. I have to go back and take a look at that first episode to see exactly what if they scanned for the chip all i know is that they did put him through some sort of intense electro manipulation or something i don't like i don't know what to call it but like they they basically shocked his his um gave him electrical shocks on on his uh on his head 
So I think what it was, and if I recall correctly, uh, it was Tarkin that said that he wanted to up the programming on on him in terms of like the to ensure his obedience. So I gotta think that the chip was still there. I don't, but th- but that's just like it was still active, and they were just kind of amplifying the effects of it. Yeah, I think they were just like permanently changing his brain structure because I think it was like the chip is no longer going to be enough to control him because it was damaged. So I think they just did like permanent changes to him. Yeah, so it it could be that his chip is just like no longer in effect, but he's still while he's still making decisions on his own, he's also kind of conflicted about it because he does show a measure of restraint, compassion with uh with omega there and in then in the finale enough for oh, me to man. kind of question about, that yeah how about that finale scene where he has he got the sniper rifle from somewhere and they make it look like he's pointing it at hunter but he's really saving omega i was <laughs> like i actually like gasped out loud because i was like no way this dude found a sniper and is about to point blank kill his old captain well, Hunter was carrying around his sniper in his backpack. He like disassembled it and put it on it on his bag. If I I do recall Hunter disassembling the um the sniper rifle and taking it with him, so I think that's where he pulled it out from, just from from the bag. Which still, for being the guy with heightened senses, I'm surprised Hunter didn't realize that happened. Yeah, that that I don't know how it happened or when it happened, but they did a great job. Uh, designing that that interaction there because that actually was one of the few times where i'm like oh my god i don't actually don't know what's gonna happen next i did like that you know echo uh tech and uh wrecker all had their weapons drawn on him yeah yeah the whole last episode had great i mean we'll call it camera work but it's not because it's animated but uh uh yeah they had great bits like that where it was show the rest of the team and then the still shot of all the all of these clones staring at the wreckage of their home uh like that final hero shot that was one of the best shots i've seen in an animated series for sure that was really depressing and powerful for a scene that had no dialogue and just literally showed you empty rooms across camino right before everything gets completely wrecked yeah especially um because right in that moment, you don't know what Crosshair is going to do next. So it's even more powerful right then, for sure. One thing I do want to touch on real quick, if we can. Um, Kevin Kiner's composing the music for the series, same as he did for Clone Wars. And I think he did a number of the episodes for um, Rebels. But the music... I feel like has always kind of been a very natural part of Star Wars. It's almost like if you don't have good music to Star Wars imagery, it's just not, it doesn't feel Star Wars enough uh, for me. But Kevin Kiner has been killing it. And especially with this series, we had a lot of callbacks to the Death Star theme. We had a lot of callbacks to, you know, music from Empire Strikes Back. There was some very creative uses of the Imperial March across the series to me there were episodes where my enjoyment of it were very heightened by the music 
and that scene where we got the destruction of Camino was one of the big ones because to me it, it, it reminded me of the scene where we Django tosses the seismic um, bomb on in Attack of the Clones where it kind of dips into silence before you start getting that um, sound effect of the explosion. The music just kind of revs up right when you're seeing the orbital bombardment of, of the city. Um, but th- there was so many good creative uses of music on this show from that to like i think uh it was the war mantle episode where they go and um rescue gregor uh you had the callback to the death star music like there were so many cool like little musical cues that to me it just made me really really appreciate the sound mixing here that's a great point and really well said yeah for the same for me um because this is a transition time in the Star Wars timeline from Republic to Empire, I loved that they transitioned the music throughout the episodes. So these last three episodes, it was like the butterflies come out of the cocoon and now it's playing in Empire music, uh, which just like it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It's so perfectly orchestrated. And it's not like it's not like it's standing on like others work, but it's more of like we're going to show you that appreciation for what has come before. And that's what these series do so well that uh, Last Jedi just failed at, if I can repeat <laughs> that here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I do. I feel like these shows, the Dave Filoni-led projects, and again, I'm tying it back to Dave Filoni because he's like the... All the hail Filoni. All hail him. <laughs> um <laughs> It, it it does show like a level of understanding of the the material you have to work with, right? Because there's almost like this uh, desire to pay homage to it in the best way that you can, and then also establish something a little new. And I feel like most of these projects bring something new to the table without disrespecting what's come before, um, or without like doing this whole change of like the overall tone of the series and i feel like with uh some of the newer projects we got uh it it didn't reflect that all that much um i i you know i think it's like a matter of opinion sometimes but at the same time there are you, you can't argue that there are things that come out of higher quality when you have people at the helm that have an appreciation for the lore and don't just uh try to insert their own kind of spin onto established uh, content. Ivan, there's only two opinions that matter, and they're both on the microphone right now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do agree with you, though, and this is something that Filoni has figured out. It's a very thin line of, you know, it's moving the ball forward, and it's not... uh, it's It's a thin line for not ignoring what previous uh, movies and shows have set up because you want to do your own thing. But it's also not um, on the other side where you're just kind of copy-pasting. And it it has to be like honoring what came before and then moving the ball forward from there. And that's what these shows have done well. Mandalorian, this... Uh, you're right. I got into like Clone Wars and Rebels late, but those just fill in so many gaps for me that like 
oh, I get to watch character characters evolve between movies, and now it makes so much more sense. It adds a lot to it. It's kind of like playing those old-style MMOs like Star Wars Galaxies where you kind of get to view and kind of immerse yourself in the universe without kind of drowning yourself in it too much. Like, you get just enough more insight. Uh, and I feel like these shows do it to a really good point. And they're major time commitments, but I think that, like, Clone Wars and Rebels are so many more seasons, obviously, because this is the first season of this. But because they're set up in arcs, they're like bite-sized pieces of it. So you can kind of like take it in uh, take it in doses. And that's why I think that this, uh, this will be difficult for fans to latch on to. Because it's like, how do I know when to stop watching, like, call it a night, you know, for the Bad right. Batch? And I think that's like the only knock I can give it. But, like I said, there's not, like, a single bad episode. Like, we we ranked a couple episodes here that were our least favorite. But it's not like there was any episodes like the droid arc in <laughs> in Clone Wars. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's where I think that this, like, pros and cons, right? Right. Yes, you won't be able to parcel, parcel out Bad Batch. But you're not going to hate any episode that you watch. Yeah, the, the, there's nothing in in this first season, at least, that I feel like got to either the droids arc from Clone Wars or the Poison Tea from Mandalore episode of Clone Wars also. I think that would last like two episodes also. Uh, there was nothing like that here. Yeah, remember there was, uh, I think Duchess Satine found like Poison Tea at a school in Mandalore. And so Padme came over and was trying to investigate things with her. I believe it was season three. Oh, I thought you said Mandalorian. I was like, I don't remember. Okay. On Mandalore. On Mandalore, yeah. 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 But I will also say that there's nothing of, like, Mortis arc level. So it's somewhere between the best and the worst of Clone Wars. (laughs) Would you agree on that or no? Yeah, no, I I agree. I I do feel that they have to have learned enough in this first season to give us more consistency because if i remember correctly like we'll take something like rebels that was a little more recent i don't think i quite got to the point where i say i really like the series until season two where i feel like it finally found its footing and it's almost like it, it established what its audience was and it moved forward over there and then we started actually getting uh story arcs because in the, that first season of rebels we only really got maybe two story arcs throughout the whole first season. So I hope that's also a pattern that Bad Batch takes and the and the, the upcoming season two is something where they focus in a little bit more. Because I feel like over the course of the series, we had growth from Hunter, we had character development from Crosshair and Omega. But the rest of the Bad Batch to me was kind of in the background. I would give Wrecker after- some some flowers there. I mean he went from just demolishing to actually caring about omega a lot like he was he actually took on the big brother role probably more than hunter did yeah hunter has more of like a father kind of hunter felt like responsibility for some reason uh wrecker was like he just had that big brother feel also visually hunter reminds me of like 
late 90s Mexican hairstyles. <laughs> I was just talking to my brother about this over the weekend. I was like, he has this, um, what we call this rockero uh, hairstyle, Ooh. which was like these, uh, like the kind of like a mullet kind of hairstyle that Mexican rockers used to do back in the 90s. <laughs> so I just get like every time I would see Hunter take off his helmet, I'm like, oh, damn. <laughs> That's what takes... Kylo Ren tried to do. But he, failed but he just he couldn't pull it up. <laughs> and that's the difference, you know, like that's something you could achieve in animated, but not in live action. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect hair. Let's yeah, let's wrap it up there with uh let's talk about season two. Where do we want it to go? What would be our ideal situation? And what do we not want to happen? I don't want it to be where I don't know, maybe I'm just being pessimistic and I don't really want it to be like Rebels. I kind of like the idea that this show gets to be the thing that ties all these other shows together. So I would like to see where it's constantly like this fanfare, which I know we talked about being like kind of polarizing where people are happy to see some characters come back and not happy to see other ones. But I'd like to see it be like that bridge that pieces all these other shows that exist and slowly progress the... Uh, development of these characters but i don't see tech evolving Uh, echo echo like not really either you know yeah i feel like if anything this is the hunter and omega show um yeah it'll probably continue to be that what i don't want to see in season two to be totally honest with you i don't want to see darth vader (laughs) i don't want to see any of these like um big time imperial characters until maybe sometime down the line and and only because of this i feel like this is this might be the first star wars story that doesn't rely on any of the mysticism behind the jedi on a skywalker (laughs) right (laughs) yeah true you're right and i really enjoyed that aspect of it not because i'm tired of jedi and sith kind of thing like i love that stuff too but i feel like it has its place in this time but to me, what really struck with what really stuck with me about this show is how much I really, really like the clones as characters because of Clone Wars. And this just seemed like a nice continuation of that. And while we don't see too many of them, or any of them actually, in the original trilogy, we know they kind of have a doom and gloom kind of um, eventual fate in the in the franchise so I, I do hope that we get to that point where we where they're phased out but i hope we just stick to this core crew and flesh them out as much as we can because if this story goes on for three seasons i'm fine with that as long as we get a good enough um, cohesive story that flushes them out as much as we can um i've always loved the clones um but you know for me this show works its best when it focuses on just the clone side of the star wars universe the stuff with hauser in in ryloth i thought was really great um so yeah that's the kind of stuff i want to see in season two more i i actually really agree with you there i think that if they can achieve a show that doesn't rely on the jedi period or on um on like the main characters like the skywalkers although i could see like i think what i would really like is them to be like a rescue party like helping out those in need so like helping out defecting clones find a place in the galaxy 
since they've always been like the special group of clones, I'd like to see them be like the leader of the clones, right? But then I could also see like the first episode of this show did feature how they were with Kane and Jaren yeah. at the beginning. So like maybe it could be like we're gonna help seek out those Jedi in trouble as well and help place them too. What I was kind of hoping to see um, was maybe tying it to the Mandalorian and having them be the 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 group that saves Grogu from the Jedi Temple. Only because it'd be we, too late for that though. It it would be at this point, but that that was my hope before before the series premiered, and, and I thought it would make sense to tie it in there. But I know I I do think there is a Mandalorian connection in the cloners uh, the cloners because Nala say survived at the end. You saw. I that was going to say um, that's a major hook at the end. I'd like yep. to follow that point through. My impression is that she's going to be used to help the uh, figure out how to clone Palpatine. Yep. Right. That was it. Right. Yep. Okay. Which ties us directly to Grogu. And maybe we'll get like a cameo from a much younger Dr. Pershing. I was going to say, would this be the introduction of Pershing as well? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Because the, the woman that um, in, that receives, I guess, Nala say at the Imperial facility, she's wearing the same style outfit that we see Pershing wear. Right. Like, what is it, about two, 27 years later <laughs> in Mandalorian? Right. Here's one other thing, um, and I know you said no Vader, but hear me out. What if we do feature a Vader at the end of whenever, like, their last season is of, of Bad Batch? What if he's the one who, like, kills the Bad Batch? I'd be okay with that. I just, what I don't want to see like is... Every, every time we see Vader, it chips away at him being a bad guy. Yes. And I want to see him do something that is almost unforgivable until you rewatch Empire Strikes Back or Last Jedi. Not Last Jedi, why am I thinking of that? Uh, (laughs) uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree too, because I feel like every... So when he showed up in Rebels Season 2, I was like, all right, he's definitely killing one or two of these members, right? Because he's got to. It's Vader. Right. you don't bring him in unless you're going to have some major, major thing to play. And that's one of my like gripes on Rogue One, because I don't know if you've like, and I think we talked about this before, but um, Henry Gilroy, who wrote the revision for the script for Rogue One, mentioned that his original like pitch to, to Lucasfilm and the thing that they actually shot was the group in Rogue One making it onto the Admiral's ship with the plans, but then they are the ones in the hallway and Vader massacres them at the end. But Disney had them change it because they thought it was too it, it was too much to have all of the heroes die off at Vader's hands. And I was like, that would have been the perfect summation of Vader because he's supposed to be a despicable character until he gets his redemption. Yeah, yeah that's what I didn't like. And the rebels callback is exactly what I'm thinking of right now is like you bring him back to one V three Ahsoka, Kanan and Ezra and nobody died. I I get that. Like in that moment, we were supposed to think that he killed Ahsoka, but still like you have to have him have a conflict of actually steering to the bad side. You can't always have him being like 
well, maybe I'm good. Like, no, it's not enough to just kill younglings, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you need to kill them on screen or it didn't happen, sir. <laughs> Yikes, what's what's happening to me right now? Uh, <laughs> no, but I think that would be such a good uh, use for him because it's, like, it's not like he's killing anyone of uh, significance, right? I mean, uh, significance to us, but it would be a character that's well-liked enough, like a hunter, that if he killed him, it would show that like he's committed to the path of the dark side. And I feel like every time we see him, it just chips away at him being a bad guy. I feel like wh- wherever he shows up next, I hope they put him in like the Jedi Hunter guys that he's supposed to be in around this these years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they do... I'll rephrase what I said earlier. Like I, I, w- I won't mind if they bring Vader in, but he has to have consequence. It can't just be like a, oh, I almost got them, but they got away kind of thing. Because then he just becomes a villain of the week kind of character. Right, and it, it, he's just not as strong as he's always been led to believe to be. Right. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind that. I, I do feel like we're going to lose this cast of characters eventually, and maybe Omega is the only one to survive. I'm fine with that, too. Um, like I said, I I feel like this show definitely represents the end of an era for, like, the whole prequel um, era. So I hope they give them enough growth for us to really, really get invested in them. Because right now, I feel like my favorite character in, on this show is, is Hunter. And I feel like I'd like to include the rest of the Bad Batch in that pool. <laughs> mm. um, no, they're pretty forgetful. Can we flush them out a little bit more? <laughs> But it's like they there's too many characters to achieve top tier fandom. So I agree that like yes, they made you like Hunter and appreciate Omega plus have like a little bit of like ooh, I wonder what her deal is. For me, it's Crosshair in this one. I, we didn't get enough of him, but the bits that we did get enough, uh, like get some of him, I'm invested in being like, is this guy? naturally bad was he experimented on can he be redeemed i like all that conflict i think we're going like a prince zuko kind of um th- that's what it feels here. like right yeah yeah that's last uh that's uh the last avatar uh for for those people who don't know yeah. who zuko is that's the we're last not we're not talking guys. karate kid was he, was there a Zuko in Karate Kid? <laughs> isn't Danny Zuko the main character? I think we're thinking. I, I'll, no, that isn't that Daniel Larusso. <laughs> now I'm kind of doubting everything I know. Everything I know is a lie. Oh, um, it yeah, Russo. it's Larusso. Who am I thinking um, of? <laughs> I have no idea where you heard Zuko <laughs> elsewhere. Um, I didn't really like those movies as a kid. <laughs> I, I do feel like though we are we are going to go a similar route to that. Like well, we'll he'll get his redemption arc somewhere, uh, somewhere along the line. And while I hope it's a good one, I, I kind of do hope they kind of keep him in that place where he doesn't have the chip and that he's just willingly doing all this, only because I feel like we've never really had that in Star Wars. <laughs> where a character decides out of their own volition, like, hey, I'm actually kind of a bad guy. Hey, this is the first time I ever get to put The Last Jedi in a positive light. But what about the uh, casino guy? (laughs) DJ? 
I don't know his name. <laughs> uh, did, w- Antonio Banderas. I guess I guess you're right. Yeah, he kind of genuinely was a bad guy. He he was at least he was honest about it up front, and then they were still shocked that he betrayed them. <laughs> so hey, good for you, Last Jedi. The one time you uh you get to be a positive light, and that's cheers. the last time. Cheers to you. Cheers. We definitely need to have a whole episode dedicated to Last Jedi now, because I feel like we. That's de- <laughs> gonna be episode 100 for us. 100. This is Tune 50. In. It gets a nice little. Uh, it's the heel of this episode. <laughs> Well, let, let's wrap up our thoughts here. Um, I think we, we kind of talked a little bit about our, about our hopes uh, for season two, but um, for you, like, wh- where do you want the show to go to, or what kind of impact do you want the show to have on the overall Star Wars mythos? Or would you rather this just be its own segmented thing? I, yeah, I mean, I like the idea that I presented before where it's like this can just be the thing that connects all those other existing shows. I don't know if I need this to advance the ball so far that like now these are characters that I have to debate about seeing in do I want to see them in live action or do I want this to go on for four or five seasons? I kind of just want maybe like one more season of just them doing missions and like either finding some purpose in the in the galaxy of like helping others or leading to their demise of some sort i don't know if i need this to be a another thing that i'm constantly like thinking about like with rebels where i'm thinking like when will ezra reappear or um you know i'm not i don't need it to be that much bigger yeah i feel like for me if if it can tie in that little Point of the rise of skywalker the whole palpatine cloning thing because it seems like that's where they're going with it and if that's what we're going to do to have it contribute something to the overall mythos i'm fine with that but much like you I, yeah i do hope that we end this series in like a finality when it comes to a close and that we don't get too many unanswered questions i, I do see them carrying omega f- forward but I, I have a hard time envisioning them getting uh, Tamora Morrison to actually play all of these clones because it seems like the number of characters he can play is just piling up now. We got Boba Fett and Mandalorian. Rex is allegedly still around during that time period. Who knows what happened to Commander Cody? <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I don't know. I don't think I see the live a live action debut for the Bad Batch themselves, minus maybe Omega. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. All right, so I think that kind of wraps up our thoughts on everything. But, that uh, does, and uh, this has been fun talking Star Wars. I, I like this break from Marvel. Uh, this kind of gets back to where we started the podcast, and uh, it's nice to return to these roots. Yeah. I, I think next for us on the slate for Star Wars stuff, we have that Star Wars anime limited series coming out. I think uh, I think that's actually due in the fall. Um, but right after that is the Book of Boba Fett, so... We got more stuff coming along the way, so I'm excited. Yeah, there's a lot to look forward to in the Star Wars realm. And then um, there's other things, other projects coming up, other big movies that are coming out this fall. Uh, I didn't realize it, but Shang-Chi comes out in like two weeks. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm i getting my tickets reserved for that one already. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I definitely well, uh, want to talk about it, but <laughs> yeah, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a good episode on that one. 
Um, but I think that wraps up our thoughts here. Again, as always, if you think we missed anything, if uh, if there was any call-outs or thoughts that you had that you wanted to share with us, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, at BTFourthWall, for being 4TH. Otherwise, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.